Hello friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. My five-year-old son was diagnosed with autism a year ago, and if I'm honest, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. In this episode, the author Kathy Lett kindly invited me to her house to talk to me about her son Jules, who's in his late 20s and starring as Jason in the BBC One hit show Holby City. Jules also has a diagnosis of autism. Kathy is a strong, intelligent, funny and warm woman, and she has written many best-selling books, including The Boy Who Fell to Earth and Best Lay Plans, which are based on her own experiences of bringing up a child on the autistic spectrum. Thank you for letting me come to your beautiful house, Cathy. No, it's a pleasure. It's always great to meet another mum who understands the autistic terrain. And yes, I will live here with you. Great. Um, So I really want to start from the beginning, really. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about life before motherhood? Because I know you're writing books before you wrote your first book when you were 17. Yeah. Uh, I always write the book I wish I'd had when I was going through something. So I wrote Puberty Blues when I was 17 about what it was like growing up as a surfy girl in Australia with these guys. They're gorgeous-looking guys, but they disproved the theory of evolution. They were, like, evolving into apes. Yeah. and then, so I wrote that as a kind of manual for other surfy girls, saying to them, you're not, you're, there's more to you, not just a life support system to a pair of breasts. Yeah. Then I wrote a book about um, being a single girl around Sydney called Girls' Night Out to sort of warn other girls coming yeah. up about what to expect from married men and all that kind of thing. So um, I've cannibalised all my life to do with um, childbirth and pregnancy and motherhood. Yeah. But the one thing I never, ever talked about was the fact that I had an autistic child. And it was mainly because I didn't want to invade his privacy. Yeah. Uh, but when he was um, about 21, I started writing another funny book, like a satire on the sex war. Mm. And this other book started pouring out of my pen about a single mother raising a child with autism. So I thought, ah, oh, this is the um, this is the autobiographical book I knew I'd write one day. I just didn't know when. So I know it was... It's based on your own experience mm-hmm. of um, raising a child on the autistic spectrum. Um, and Julian, or Jules, Jules yes. is your son. Um, so in the book, you talk about um, the character Lucy, her little boy Merlin, uh, starts sort of um, noticing signs that maybe that something isn't quite right mm. um, when he's about two or three. Was it, was mm. it the same for you? And what, what did you notice? Sort of, what, what were the signs? Well, Jules, first of all, he walked and talked early. And he seemed like, I kept thinking, oh, my God, I've got a little genius on my hands. He was so bright. And then uh, at about, so I guess it was about 13 months, it's like his computer just crashed. Yeah. He lost his language. Time. He retreated into himself. He started rocking. He had terrible anxiety. If, if, he, if he couldn't see me, he would scream uncontrollably. Yeah. It was kind of terrifying. But because he was my first child, it took me a little while to work out what was going on. Um, but my mum is a teacher. Okay. So she could notice too that there was something, that he was quirky. 
Uh, so he was three when we got the diagnosis in Sydney, actually. Oh, was it in Sydney? Yeah, I got it in Sydney, first of all. And um, I was back visiting my mum and I made an appointment at the children's hospital. And then I got it reconfirmed here at a hospital right. when I got back. But that was in those days, that was a diagnosis that just dragged you down to the dark. I mean, autism, the A word, it was really terrifying. It was like a, a, a door slamming shut. Yeah in a dark room. And I, I used to look at Jules and think, oh, so, you know, this, first of all, this lioness love comes out of you, doesn't it? The, your claws they, come out. And they, they, they look so beautiful. Beautiful and, and perfect. You just think, how could this be? Yes. How, and how can I protect them? Yes. And so suddenly my beautiful little boy, like your Charlie, had become like a plant in a gloomy room and it was my job to kind of drag him into the light. But I think... Um, Parents of autistic kids go through various phases <laughs> and the first yeah. phase I went through was denial because, as you say, I kept thinking this can't be right. So yeah. I bankrupted myself seeing every medical expert in the country. I hate to think how many doctors' children I've now put through university, you know. <laughs> the next phase is guilt. I mean, my guilt gland throbbed. I mean, I kept thinking, was it so? I think mothers feel guilty all the time anyway. Like, motherhood is guilt, but yeah. then add autism oh. into it and you literally lose your mind. Yeah, you lose your mind. I kept thinking, was it something I ate? Was it something I drank? Was it that one glass of wine in yeah. the final trimester? Then I thought, if only I'd feng shui my aura like Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, everything would be fine. And then the next phase you go through is a phase of the kind of why me's, where you feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, and that's um, that's the... Angry. I went through quite a bad depression, mm. even though, you know, you still have to do those mundane things, getting up, getting him ready. Yeah. It's just there all the time. What is the shock? It's like yeah. post-traumatic stress syndrome, the shock of it. Like and, a grief. And like, why me? Why? How could this happen to me? You feel really selfish and, and really hard done by. And you probably drink way too much alcohol around that phase. Wine is good. <laughs> Wine, yes, yes. The, the mother pen, mother's penicillin. <laughs> and then I, then I think for me, I just... Finally, started coming out of that, and I just started to think, well, this is this this is the unique little person I've been given, yeah, totally. and I've got to do my best by him. So I'm a great believer in turning your negatives into a positive. So I tried to find the positive things of autism always, and there are a lot of positive things too. They have a literal, lateral, tangential logic, which is truly unique and funny and inspiring. Yeah. Do, do fish wear swimming costumes? Right. Charlie asked me the other day. And when my sure. son, you know, I, I hired a speech therapist as a nanny is how I got the speech there. Good. Luckily, I, was, I could afford to get a nanny yeah. at the time because I, I had no parental support here. All my family's in Australia, so I was really on my own. So Jules was getting speech therapy every day um, when I wasn't there. Yeah. And when I, when I was there, I was doing it, but when I wasn't there, she was doing it. So he got his language back at about four and a half, I think. And I remember I was in the kitchen one day chopping onions and he came in and he just started asking me the most interesting questions. He sort of looked up at me and said, Mum, if onions make you cry, are there vegetables that make you happy? I thought, what a great question. Yeah. You know? When I got, when I, Jules went to school here, they, the authorities tried to convince me it was dyspraxia, not autism, because they, they wouldn't have to give him so much support. Uh, but I now understand that autism and dyspraxia often go together, and there's a great yeah. discrepancy between their, their IQs. Their verbal IQ is often very high, but their other IQ um, is very low, so the, the sequencing is a nightmare. So, you know, the trouble too is that... Um, Getting help is a postcode lottery. 
and the government set up these bureaucratic speed bumps to slow down a parent's progress. So as well as having to deal with the meltdowns and the tantrums and the anxiety and the oh, depression, the meltdowns. all the meltdowns, you're fighting bureaucracy all the time. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was, you know, on diagnosis, I was given a, a mountain of written information. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't function, let alone read through all of this yeah, and find out what was going yeah. on with my son and then what to do next. I this, know. I mean, when Jules, was it a state, was he statemented? Is I that finally what it got is? him statemented, yes. It was, it's very hard. I mean, you have to fight the authorities oh, yeah. all the time. Um, and the, the reason I wrote The Boy Fell to Earth, which is the book I was mentioning earlier that, um, I, that I didn't write till Jules was 21, I wrote that to help other parents understand that they're not alone. Yeah, that's, guys, <laughs> read the book. It's like, a, a, it's like an owner's manual um, and to give some tips on how to fight bureaucracy because it's, it's so, so difficult. Yeah. And schooling too is a nightmare. I mean, I think putting a kid with special needs into a mainstream school is as pointless as giving a fish a bath. Unless there's a unit within the school where they can, they can have their one-to-one help and then they can do they can filter into the mainstream integrate in it's just you know most kids at school are striving to learn math and grammar and my son was striving to make himself invisible and of course the bullying is a constant nightmare I mean that's why I'm so glad so now they get a educational health care plan and you're seen by all sorts of um, specialists and and it's so difficult because you basically have to write about pages and pages about what your son can't do yeah. That's basically what it is. It's a it's a book of what your child can't do. Yeah. And yeah. you have to be really honest, otherwise they yeah. just don't get the help. So Charlie's going to a specialised school mm. for children with autism and I'm so oh, that's glad wonderful. That he just won't be bullied. He won't be bullied. Because I remember when Jules was nine, he came home with a sign sticky tape to his back saying, Kick me, I'm a retard. And he's looking at me with tears in his eyes saying, Mum, the kids are calling me a retard. Am I a retard? What is a retard? Mm. I mean you might as well have ripped my heart out of my chest yeah. and stomped on it. But, you know, how do you protect them all the time? That's your greatest fear that that's going to happen. And then yeah. when it does happen, you're like, my greatest fear is realised, basically. So it makes you incredibly overprotective. I would never let Jules out of the house without, you know, enough in his backpack to set up a comfortable wilderness <laughs> homestead. <laughs> and, and, and a list of instructions longer than war and peace, you know. But you have to let them out in the outside world because how will you ever know if they can cope in it if you don't let them out into it? So you have to just grit your teeth and strap on a bulletproof bra. <laughs> but there'll be many ups and downs and adventures. But the important thing is to keep your sense of humour. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, we were talking about um, over email is that what you said, you know, if you, if, you, if you cry, you'll get salt in your martini. And actually, after the stages <laughs> I went through, now I'm in that place of acceptance where yeah. all of Charlie's eccentricities I can laugh at. Well, it's an invisible disability, that's the thing. I mean, in the cutbacks with a scramble for funds, p- kids with autism are losing out because they don't have a, you know, white stick or a wheelchair. Yeah. But they're just as, as um, disabled in lots yeah. of ways. Uh, but you, people can't see it. So I used to hate going to the playground when Jules was little. I used to call the sandbox the quick sandbox because Jules would just do one thing that was slightly erratic or slightly unusual yeah. and other mothers would pull their child away as though autism was contagious or as though I was a bad parent. Um, it's, and it's really socially isolating. It's, it's like being cast off into social Siberia all the time. Um, and you can feel... You can feel so resentful about that too. Like it's very hard sometimes when not you're to be better, yeah. not to be bitter, cynical, and twisted when your girlfriends are telling you they're 
how how brilliant their children are doing at school and all of that. It's I feel yeah, yeah like, you have to bite your tongue and try and be happy for them. It's quite sad because Charlie's done a year at mainstream reception. Mm. He's survived a year at mainstream, and yeah, I went to the school gates the other day and. Uh, kid said I don't know my lines for the play I don't want to go in mummy and I thought you know the sad it's the sadness it's like I've never taught Charlie any lines because it's just not he's just not there and it's not possible Mm. yet um he's never asked why Mm. it's really so the things he does learn are just by being but so it is for people listening who don't know what it is but I imagine everyone listening does that's why you're tuning in but it's a lifelong neurological disability and its chief characteristics are an inability to communicate socialize often chronic OCD and anxiety but also often a very very high IQ so I call my own son Wikipedia with a pulse because he's just like a walking encyclopedia. I say to him, and his memory, I don't even have a diary. I say, where was I on the 3rd of June 2006? He'll know where I was, what I was wearing and what we did. That's phenomenal. When did his meltdowns, was it with age? Because a lot of people say, oh, the meltdowns, they get better with age or they no. just become something else in terms of instead of biting you or kicking oh, you, yeah, they, they, yeah. they take themselves away or they do repetitive sort of behaviour. Yeah. No, um, the meltdowns never stop because they have chronic anxiety. Anxiety is off the scale. because But you can understand why. All day, every day of their lives, they're told they're wrong, they're stupid, they're out of sync. And also, um, they're, they're sensory defensive. So everything's... When Jules used to draw pictures of, him, of himself when he was a little boy, he used to draw this tiny body, um, but with this huge mouth, ears, hands, feet, um, eyes, you, because their senses it? are so... I often think of that painting by Monk of the Scream. That's what it's like having autism, I imagine. Everything's too loud, too bright, too... You're overloading your yeah. senses all the time. But my top two tips for um, any parent raising a child on the spectrum, one is to build up their self-esteem because all day they're told they're, 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 they're wrong. Yeah. They're in trouble. And their self-esteem sinks down lower than Pamela Anderson's bikini line. Or, you know, Kim Kardashian's bikini line is probably more accurate. <laughs> yeah. um, so build up their self-esteem and also f- encourage their obsessions because people with autism are very obsessive. I mean, Charlie hasn't found his yet so, too young. So Charlie's actually, I'm going for Paralympic trampolinist because it's quite a common thing for um, children on the autist- autistic spectrum and I think it's something to do with their senses. They like to bounce. Is that right? So he is, I mean, we call it the babysitter. So the trampoline is his friend. He'll run in, eat something, go back on the trampoline. Fantastic. Or, or the first autistic supermodel. We're, <laughs> either or is fine with me. But, yeah, I've, I've read that you said that. If, you know, once you find their interest, feed it because yeah, you don't it. know where it could take them. Well, I mean, all those mad scientists who studied one moth wing fluctuation in the Amazon for 35 years. Yeah. All those guys who studied one igneous rock crystal until they worked out how the centre of the earth melted or whatever, they're all on the spectrum. <laughs> so I heard yeah. a fantastic guy with um, autism talking on Radio 4 one day and he said, he said, well, he was a scientist and he said, well, you know, you people think we're weird the way we don't make eye contact with the way we don't make small talk. He said, we think you're weird. He said, the amount of time you spend being nice to people you don't even like. <laughs> and he said, if it weren't for autistic people, human beings would never have got out of the cave. He's right. He is so 
Right. So, you know, they think that in about in about 50 years' time they might be able to rewire the brain and and cure autism right. and and dyspraxia and all those things, yeah. bipolar, whatever. But, you know, if we do that, we're also going to lose our, all our scientists, mathematicians, musicians, those yeah. people who have that obsessive ability to concentrate and create. So, we, I, you know, we now know the diagnostic hindsight that Mozart and Einstein and Orwell and Van Gogh and Steve Jobs and probably Bill Gates yeah. and all these incredible people were definitely on the spectrum. We now know that one in every 68 people is on the autistic spectrum. That's what the latest statistic right. is. And when I'm doing this, I do this one-woman show at the minute called Girls Talk, which I'm doing in Edinburgh, actually. Uh, but And it's funny, funny feminist, you know, fabulous girl-talking show. But in the second act, I talk about the fact that women are the carers and we care for all our aged relatives, our fragile friends, our sick siblings and our children. We take care of all of their needs, some of which are special. And, you know, which is why we need female camaraderie and a sense of humour to survive that. Yeah. But then I use that as a way of talking about the, the difficulty of my life, which is raising this autistic child. And then, because um, I've stripped off to my emotional underwear in a psychological striptease that reveals all, I then, yeah, I it allows everyone in the audience to sort of talk about their issues. And after I've explained autism, it's amazing how many women will put their hand up and say to me, I've just realised my husband's on the spectrum or I've just realised my brother or my father mm. or my son. Like the lights go on. If, if it explains it. It yeah. does. It's, it's called an extreme form of maleness. That's how doctors refer really? to it. Yeah, they think all men are on the spectrum somewhere. Um, if your husband or your brother or your son or whatever is a, a train spotter, a plane spotter, yeah. if he's emotional bonsai and you have to whack the fertiliser on to get any feelings out of him... Yeah there's a very good chance that he's on the spectrum. I tell this story about my own darling dad who was an engineer, lovely, lovely daddy. He um, he worked in optic fibre. His name was Merv and we called him Optic Merv. But I, I remember when my mum and dad had a really bad fight, which was very unusual because they were really in love. They had this really bad fight and mum was serving his meals in silence and turning her back to him in bed and I've got three sisters and we were walking around, we were teenagers, we were walking around the house on eggshells, we were so distressed and upset and thinking, oh, my God, you know. At the end of the week, my mother couldn't bear it anymore and she said, oh, Murphy, Murphy, we've just got to make up, I just can't bear it. He just looked at her and said, what? He hadn't noticed nothing. And I don't think that's so unusual for a lot of men yeah. I know. So this is a really inspirational story. Um, and so when I started researching your life, oh god, um, I no, when Turning I started a few stones, <laughs> no, when I first when I started learning uh, about Jules and his um, his acting, yeah, yeah, his acting career. Um, and for those listening who might not know, but Jules is an actor and he's on Holby. Um, can you tell me kind of how that came to be mm. and how you've supported them? Because as I've heard you say, which is so true and rings so true to me, it's like you're not only their mother, you know, you're their best friend, you're their carer, you're their accountant, you're their everything. You're their bouncer, you're their medic, you're <laughs> their psychologist. Yeah, yeah everything. Everything. Uh, well, Jules had all these obsessions when he was little. He learnt all of Hamlet by the time he was five. He didn't understand it, but he could recite lots of it. I know, Amazing. I know. Then it was the Beatles. Then it was. 
big Bill Brunzin, big bopper, and luckily it's always interesting obsessions, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then it was tennis, like he knows every match point of any game ever played in the history of tennis. Then it became acting, and he he knows every film ever made. He knows every voiceover. I've introduced him to Kenneth Branagh at some event once, and Julius told him not just every film he'd made, but every voiceover he'd done for oh, wow. commercials. Wow. Right. So he's just got that that mind. And then he wanted to study acting. I was like, how do you put the artistic into autistic? I couldn't quite see it. But then I thought, actually, autistic people are acting every day. They're acting trying to be normal. Yes. And I remembered as a little boy, he would come in, or just through his teens, he would come into the room and if we got into a fight, if we, you know, if there was a misunderstanding, he'd then he'd say, stay, stop, 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 take two, take two. And he'd go out and he'd come in and we'd do it again without the fight, right? But then I, I enrolled him in a foundation acting school in Regents College. I found a college that will take autistic kids. So so you sort of, which is amazing, you supported the idea. You yeah. didn't say, try and kind of talk him out of it. No, I think feed their obsessions, as yes. I said. So then I used to go and watch him in the classes and I'd think, you're really good. And then I thought, oh, no, it's the mum goggles, you know, I'm seeing everything <laughs> through the, the filter of love. Yeah. But then he won two little prizes and then he won made two little films and then he went up for a part in... Holby City wanted to cast an autistic actor to play an autistic character, which is really groundbreaking because normally they get yeah. Dustin Hoffman to pretend to be the rain man. Yeah. So um, Jules had an agent by then and he went up Access All Areas, they're called. It's an agency that only take... Um, actors were differently abled. Right, yeah. So it had nothing to do with me. He just went for this audition and he got the part. It was the happiest day of my life when he got that part. It was better than winning the, the Booker Prize. I'm just literally going to rejoice in this moment with you because I'm at the very start of my journey. Obviously, Charlie was diagnosed a year ago and regressed mm. quite, quite a lot. Um, and I just, and I hope maybe this rings true for other mothers feeling the same way at the moment. I just, I can't. I can see a future, but it's difficult for me. Yeah. Like, everyone has dreams for their children, and my dreams have had to change. So um, right now I, I, I know that he might live with me forever, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But I just, you know, because obviously you hear so much about um, the workplace and how difficult it is for mm. uh, different people to, to you know, be accepted in the workplace. Um, there's so much unconscious bias around. Mm. Um, but I just, yeah, it's such a, I mean, that day must have been oh, like. It was just, obviously, you and then it was only supposed to be one storyline playing with um, Catherine Russell, who plays Serena, Auntie Serena. But the audience liked him so much and the actors liked him so much and the response was so overwhelming from the public that he they kept him on. He's now been in for two and a half years. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about it is that Jules playing that autistic character will do more to take the stigma out of autism than a million dry documentaries because the audience can relate with him and emote with him yeah. and care for him. And, it, you know, that, and that's all you really we want is for people to realise that um, there's no such thing as abnormal and abnormal. There's ordinary and extraordinary. And people on the yeah. spectrum are the most original and fascinating people and if we could just learn to accept that everyone's different it would just make society yes. so so much more more delicious i think people with autism are like the garlic in life salad how boring it would be without them and he he certainly is uh 
fantastically funny. I've seen a couple of clips. Um, <laughs> He's just very dry. He's, I think a lot of the misconception a lot of people have about autism is that they don't have, they're not able to have a sense of humour. So, you oh, know, know, even though we're saying everything yeah. they say is so literal, actually they can be cheeky and Charlie very can be very cheeky. cheeky and he knows when he's doing something to mm. make you laugh. Um, and, you know, it's a And they're also experience. so honest. You know, they often say what we're thinking but don't have the chutzpah to say out loud. It means... I was in my show. I talk about the fact that it means that socially I sweat more than Donald Trump doing a Sudoku because I never know what he's going to say. And I have had some hair raising experiences, which I've talked about a little bit. Oh, tell me the Hugh Jackman one. Oh, I read this, God. please. Well, Sexy Hugh, Hugh. Hugh Jackman was here before he was famous. Actually, it was just like the, we Aussies all stick together in Wolverine London, guys. You know? <laughs> Wolverine, exactly. Yeah. And uh, he he came for dinner one night. I mean, he's so gorgeous. You had to swim through a pool of your own drool to get to him. I'm literally turned on now. Oh, just and he, and he's just yeah, he's just such a lovely bloke too. Is he? And he and I were getting on so well. And I'm, I'm flirting for Australia. In my mind, we've already eloped and we're living in the Caribbean, right? And then Jules came home. I guess he was about 13, I think, maybe 14. And he came into the kitchen. And I said, oh, hi. I jumped up. We're having a dinner party. And I jumped up and hugged him and said, oh, hi, Jules. You know, I said, oh, look, darling, you're growing a moustache. And he looked at me and he said, so are you, Mum. Look at all those hairs on your top lip, and there's quite a few on your chin as well. I'm like, <laughs> thanks for sharing that. You know, it was yeah. like a contraceptive arriving. Room, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or go and put yourself up for adoption. <laughs> yeah. And there've been loads of other things. Like I took him to Downing Street when he was about 14 to a function, and I introduced him to Tony Blair. And I said, "Oh, Jules, this is the Prime Minister Tony Blair." And Jules said, "Oh, yes." You're the one my mother calls Tony blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who is this child and why is he calling oh, me hi, mother? I know. Who are you? <laughs> so you do, there can be some very awkward moments socially, but can also be hilarious. In fact, in a, we're living in a society where people lie all the time. We're lied to by Trump. We're lied mm. to by the media. We're lied to by politicians. Advertisers lie to us all the time. To have someone who's just honest, it's a very rare commodity. Fresh and on. I think I'm going to set Jules up in a truth booth where people pay money to come in and just be told the truth. Like, does my bum look big in this ball? Yes, it does, darling. Yes. Yeah. So They can't lie. They can't lie, no, but isn't filter. that a fantastic gift? Another fascinating thing, one of the many fascinating things I think about autism is that there are lower functioning people with autism, you know, higher dependency, yeah. some that are ne ne never verbal, um, you know, and... But it can, with the right treatment and the right therapies and just with time, it can change and develop. They're always changing, mm. you know, some of, of them. And with love, I, which I think is the best. Oh, I mean, what, you what just, does every parent want? That's the one thing. Just give them love, so much love. And, you know, at first it, and I'm not afraid to say when I got, when Charlie got diagnosed, I was, I still loved him, but I was sort of, you know, he was still the same, but mm. I was broken. Mm. So, and it took me a while to sort of accept him back into my heart mm. as the child he is. Um, but with this job, with his kind of new found fame on Holby and he must get recognised. Mm. He does. Does he, is he much more kind of self, I mean, you know, you said, you know, he's, you know, the anxiety will always be there mm. and it's, you know, a part of who he is. And mm -hmm. um, how has he changed? Can you see... Well, he, you know, he still has good and bad days, yeah. so he has anxiety all the time because he's got a bit of OCD. Okay. But he also it has given him a lot of confidence and it's given him a lot of um, 
a joy just to be able to say when someone says, what do you do? Which people, the first question people ask you. Yeah. To be able to say, oh, well, I'm, I'm an actor on Holby. It's just so fantastic. I think one of the reasons Jules and I talk about autism, we've come out about it so, many, so much in public, we want other people to uh, think about hiring autistic people mm. because they bring so many strengths and such an incredible skill set. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been a really positive experience. And I do now sometimes think back to those kids who stuck that sign on his back when he was nine saying, kick me, I'm a retard. And I do allow myself a little moment of light gloating Yes, just a small and moment. so you should. Just a little bit. And so you should because I feel like you've been there and you're still living it and to me you're an inspiration to me um, because oh. you're still... You're still here. <laughs> still but alive. You're still... But you know what he's done? Not an alcoholic. He's achieved and how much love there is between you. And yeah. I think... Um, so is he... Does he live semi-independently, independently? Is he still here? What's your, you're still best friends? Well, first thing, getting back to the thing about mothers, because I loved Curious Instant, The Dog in the Nighttime, but the one thing I didn't like was that the the mother left and the father stayed. That's so rare. Yeah, no. It's usually the mother who stays. I, I really jarred with me because I know that's not the reality for most. Unfortunately, divorce and unemployment and depression rates are much higher in families where there's a, a child with special needs, especially autism. So, you know, Stress. it is a hard, hard road. Yeah. Um, but I would say to all mothers, don't become a mother martyr. Don't become a martyr to the autism. Have your own life. Make sure you have time to see your girlfriends, swing off a chandelier, yeah. you know, laugh, drink, have your own career. It's really important that you have your own identity because otherwise yeah. you will get bitter, cynical and twisted. Yeah. How did um, Jill sleep? Because obviously oh, a lot terrible. of autistic children have problems sleeping. He still can't sleep. I'm giving you melatonin. So Charlie's on melatonin. Yeah, yeah, which does help. But no, because it's the anxiety and his heart races and his mind's racing all the time. And, it, you know, yeah, and if they don't sleep when they're, when they're little, you're not sleeping oh, yeah. either. So you get so frayed and shattered. And, and when they are asleep, you're thinking they're going to wake up, they're going to wake up, they're going to wake up. So you're just constantly... I know, that's <laughs> right. I know. And, of course, there's no mothering manual. You know, I suddenly, when Jules was diagnosed, I suddenly felt that I hadn't given birth to him, but I found him under a spaceship and I was raising him as my own. And it was like trying to put together a jigsaw without the, the benefit of the picture on the top of the yeah. box. So you're making it up as you go along. Um, and that's really hard as well. So, yes, other parents have no idea. You were saying earlier about uh, how resentful you feel when that mother said that or the kid said he couldn't remember his lines. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when Jules was expelled from preschool for putting the teacher's shoes in the bin or something. And uh, I was really devastated, thinking, how am I going to cope, you know, with this autistic son? Yeah. And I saw another mother crying in the in the in the school, little schoolyard and I thought, oh, my God, she's had the same, same diagnosis of autism. And I, I went over to her with open arms and said, is everything okay? Tell me. And she said, it's, it's Reginald. He's not taking to his French. He was three. And I thought, I could get in my car and run you over and kill you. And you know what? A jury of, of mums with special needs kids would, would acquit me. Yay. And the other time I found really hard was when Jules finished school. Schooling was so difficult. I tried so many schools. I did everything. and It was always a disaster. There were a couple of good ones. Fairly House was good, a couple of them, but mostly it was just a nightmare. Yeah. But uh, when he was about 16, 
and all of my friends' kids were planning their gap years and they were getting five stars and they were going off to climb Everest and they were getting work experience in top barristers' chambers. It was like being at an incredible banquet and I could smell the aromas wafting out and I could, you know, almost taste it. But I was outside with my nose pressed up against the glass and that I found really, really heartbreaking to think, mm. it will my child ever have any of those simple pleasures of success yeah. and love? You know, but of course he has found his way. He's 27 now and he, and he is successful and he has recently fallen in love. So, you know, take oh, heart, lovely. take heart and don't despair and don't give up. There is an upside to... to um, when I said all my, all my friends' kids were going off having these amazing lives, mm. a lot of my girlfriends too really were upset when their boys became teenagers because they suddenly developed a three-grunt vocabulary of not, don't know, and bleh. <laughs> and, yeah, just totally, totally inarticulate. Pop plant, pop plant would actually have, yeah. have more to, to confide in you. Um, but my son tells me everything. Okay, he tells me way too much sometimes, more than any mother should know about his <laughs> sex life sometimes. But they're jealous of the fact that we are so emotionally so close. close and we talk about everything. Yes. So, you know, that's something to cherish, cherish for sure. Well, that's the thing. I Now I'm in that kind of acceptance place where I'm actually thinking of all the positives and I'm like, you know, Charlie will, he'll always be sort of safe in a way. Like, yeah. you know, in it, it sounds, you know, he'll never... He'll never leave you he'll completely. He'll never leave me. And sons often do. You know, they marry and they tend to go with their wife's family and that will never happen. So, And there, is, there are a few dating agencies when they get older because Best Laid Plans addresses it's a, the issue of what happens when you have a child with special needs who becomes sexual, yes. which is kind of a taboo subject. And, of course, when, when Jules became a teenager, he did everything to attract girls by covering himself in cupcake icing and walking down the street with a free designer shoe placard, you know. You've got me there. But, yeah. <laughs> but to girls his own age, he was too exotic. He might as well have been a sherbet-winged flamingo flying down the high street. So, you know, I did come up with an idea. I kept thinking he, because he, he, he got so low after years and years and years of rejection. Yeah. I remember when he was about 17... We were sitting in the kitchen one day and he said, Mum, if you'd known I was autistic, would you have aborted me? That is the question you oh. kind of thought, will it ever, yeah. Oh. Well, you might as well just take uh, taking a knife and stab me through the heart. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've got to help him in some way. Um, so I, I, I just I came up with a brilliant idea. I thought, who are the horniest people I know? I thought it's boys with autism who are priapic because they never get a girlfriend. And it's women post-50, post-divorce, taking HRT. I'm like, why can't we put those two groups together? So I've got a name for it. I'm going to make an app called Or Tinder or Tinderism. Or I've got a better one, Square Pegs for Round Holes. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. What's not to love about that? Make it, Cathy. Make and, it now. And matchmake them because all my girlfriends in their 50s and 60s, I think Jules is hilarious. And they're Often these boys have what like they're Adonises. They're Adonises, yeah. They're and also, gorgeous. And also they don't these young young men with autism don't have facial prejudice. They don't judge a woman on her looks. You know, if, if Jules meets my girlfriends who are 50, 60, 70 even, if they're funny and bright and bubbly, he thinks they're smoking hot babes. <laughs> So, you know, it's, a, it's amazing, isn't yeah. it? So I think we should exploit that I, somehow. Because well, your, your book, Best Laid Plans, which is 
brilliantly funny and and tender read and anyone you know whoever you are should read it and it actually starts with the main character lucy um curb crawling to pick up a prostitute and you're just thinking this is never what i thought and i thought you know what we will do as mothers oh yeah uh, for for them and you know you don't really realize you know if i see another mum who has a child on the spectrum i'm like i got you yeah i know i got you that's right the female camaraderie, yeah. yeah. But um, that <laughs> the beginning of Best Laid Plans is actually based on something that I did. Do, I did where I thought one night because I, I thought we, I thought I talked to a lot of the other mothers in the National Autistic Society, mums I've met, and they were all anxious about their sons and saying that look, do you think we should actually just hire them a prostitute just so they they can get over that hurdle yeah. and feel that they've they're normal normal i mean yeah, feel yeah, like they're having the an average experience time, yeah. first time all that stuff so we thought we'd go to a brothel but i thought can you imagine the mothers sitting outside knitting you know it's like paging dr freud to reception <laughs> let is yeah. found in. yeah i know i know <laughs> so then one night i did veer down to the red light district near liverpool street station and this is not my natural habitat mm. my natural habitat is a library Right, or maybe a cheese counter at the yeah. deli, and and the prostitutes were all there. And also, I'm a feminist, so it was a big, really out of character thing yes. for me to do. It's scary as well. And the pimps are coming out of the shadows, and you know, as a writer, the only thing, the only wound I've ever received is like a paper cut. And luckily, I, I I kind of panicked and bolted for home. But a couple of days later, I read about a father of an autistic son arrested curb crawling, picking up a prostitute for his boy. And I thought, that could have been me. It could have had a court case and everything. <laughs> so it gave me a great opening yeah, for a novel. That you know. is oh, yeah. it's so funny. And not that far-fetched. No, yeah. no. It's... I'm glad you found it funny because I also think when I write about autism, I try and obviously, you know, be honest about the yeah, ordeals. Yeah, it's a serious thing, you yeah. know. But also give some comedic comfort. Yes. Because all the mothers and fathers I know who are parenting kids with special needs to just get a mothering or fathering medal. I mean, they should just get a, get a halo. Yeah. Because it is so, so much harder than raising a neurotypical child. It's yeah. a squillion times harder. It's like having ten children. It is. And it's emotionally exhausting, financially so draining... And um, and you always think, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Is there some new yeah. research I need to be yeah, looking yeah. up? I'm not I doing that. Am I a terrible mum? I've oh, not yeah. done that therapy. I'm a terrible mum. I know. <laughs> so it's, it's, I know it's, really, it's, really, it's really hard. But the rewards are sweet because when they do appear in their first play and when they do, um, you know, get their first gold star at yeah. school, all of those things... These are precious and hard-won victories yes. and you've relished them so deeply. Yes, and you would just never take cry. that for granted. Yes. And that's that's rich and they when they tell you they love you and that sort of thing it, it they really mean it and that can just warm your heart so much. Yes. Charlie so, Charlie yeah. he's never been one for he's not crafty so he's never drawn anything or picked anything or that pen and paper. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't like to be touched which obviously is you know when your own child doesn't want to be touched by you or hugged or um t- you know any sort of affection they sort of run away it, that's really hard or they're hurting you that's really really hard but you do all the you know, you kind of step into their worlds and they often say, if a flower doesn't bloom, you don't 
fix the flower you fix the environment in which yeah. the flower you move yes. it to the well sunny said. sunny window and you water it and you well water it and said. you care for it yeah. and you know now he puts his arms around me Lovely. he says you know I love you um and he puts his head on my shoulder yeah. and you know and it's just yeah they just it feels so special because you just think god some mums get this you know they've not yeah. had to work for this they've not yeah. had to yeah. and it really was always in there it, it was yeah. always he always loved me and that's that's you know yeah. you do think oh they don't love me they don't you know and it's never gonna it's never gonna change but it does yeah i think the thing to remember is that normal is just the setting on a washing machine yeah that's I, the thing to remember yeah and just accept them for don't stop don't try and make them be change their autism just let them become their best autistic selves yes don't try and cure them or improve them just let them be their the best possible selves they can be if that makes sense so many mums i hear is like well when will they start doing this when will Mm. they when will and i think it might never happen Mm. you know don't put a time limit on them Mm. exactly just let Mm. them be yeah um and the last question i actually wanted to ask you is when you tell people your son has autism and um, what would you want their reaction to be oh that's a wonderful question i like it when they say what is autism yeah. and they ask me to explain yes. where they don't just immediately recoil um that's my that's my that's yeah. that's my dream yeah. my dream reaction yeah and i always tell them then everyone i know who is on the autistic spectrum and i all, all these geniuses and artists and whatever although jules always makes the point to me he says he says, Mum, don't put pressure on me to be a genius. He said, if I was a genius, I'd know how to act normal. I thought, well, I thought, well that's a genius <laughs> comment, actually. Genius. But the other thing is we know, we don't know a lot about autism, but we know that it is genetic. Yes. And we know that, um, that Silicon Valley, for example, is full of autistic um, computer scientists and geniuses. Yeah. And there's one thing for sure, rich men, because they're all rich from, through their, you know, you know, the, the whole Steve Jobs yeah. scenario, rich men always get married. So let me just say, they are breeding. There's, I can imagine this super race. We're breeding this super yeah. race of incredible autistic people yeah. who will be the ones who take us into space and teach oh, yeah. us how to live um, on another planet. They probably will go into space so, because they can, you yes. know, they're quite happy not to talk. For, you know, they, know. These, <laughs> they won't use up as much oxygen. <laughs> so, yeah, just... It, rejoice in indifference. That's what I would think. Yes, and Kathy, you are. I just love meeting you. Thank oh, you so adorable, much. Adorable, darling. You're so lovely, you. and I want to stay part of your world and find out about Charlie and what he's oh, doing. Oh, I will. I he's will. He's the most you know. beautiful looking child, and I want to meet Jules so he can tell me <laughs> if my bum does look big in this. <laughs> Hey, if you're a little bit older, I'd put you on to Or Tinder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, watch out. Or Tinder coming soon. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. For more information about autism, please visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us. This podcast was created and produced by myself, Maisie Clater, and recorded and edited by Kit Milsom.